Broadcasting live from a glass pane factory, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Garrett Strother. And I'm your other host, Seamus Connolly, and I think we're back, Garrett. I think we're in the swing of things again, and I think it's going to be an absolute whirlwind. Just much like the movies themselves, it's going to be a whirlwind to talk about all three John Wick movies today. I like that you say all three, like we're not specifically covering these because chapter four just came out. <laughs> all theaters. three current, past, initial John Wick movies. I mean, I've never been more excited for chapter four, if I'm being honest, I... even though these movies are not as good as I thought they might have been. But yeah, I think that is you true. You know, I think I'm, I'm, I'm ready for chapter four and maybe... Five. I mean, there, there's, for whatever reason, no end in sight, it feels like, for this kind of storyline, so we'll see what happens. People say four is the best one, is actually what I'm hearing. Oh, so. wow, okay. I mean, I still, I won't get into it in the main segment, but, you know, one is still pretty solid, so I'd be pretty happy if I four comes through. They all have things that they do well, that if four can combine all of those things and take away some of the bad things, <laughs> very interested Let's yeah, I, I cannot wait to see what happens with that, but why don't we get into a little bit of news before we get too far into the assassin verse? Seamus, we talk so so frequently about bad news of the way that, you know, corporate greed is taking away, ripping away <laughs> the content, the the, the the art, the cinema that we hold dear, but today I'm here to say that we have a piece of Netflix niceness. I was about to react like it was a like a fire again, like I usually do, but it's gotta be. I'm just like humbly accepting the the, the scraps that we are being offered today. I've got my prayer hands, a la Michael Bluth in Arrested Development right now. Perfect, because Arrested Development after a new licensing deal with Disney, is staying on Netflix. So this actually gives us a little bit more insight as to why Arrested Development was going to leave in the first place, because 20th Century Television owns the rights to Arrested Development because that was initially a Fox television show before it moved to Netflix. They've worked out a licensing deal between Disney and Netflix to allow it to stay on, and it's also going to be on Hulu. So you've got the best of both worlds right there. Very, very good. This, I mean, we were talking initially about this Netflix nuisance when, when it was first announced that it was like maybe just another good excuse to ditch Netflix. But I, I mean, now also on Hulu, there's there's like you said, best of both worlds. I don't want to see it restricted from anyone's access. It is still some of the most incredible comedy television of all time. So it's it's honestly kind of a bonus that it's spreading out a little bit here. I was just walking around my apartment, I think literally yesterday, going, beads. Beads? <laughs> beads? Oh, that is that is some of the best. That's that's season four, right? That's uh I think so, yeah. That's some of the best of season four in that in that <laughs> one line. I, I love it. Oh, it's just that that both of them <laughs> are so good. And then and then Michael says something at the end like I don't think Joe's buying it or something like that. And he's so deadpan. But let's go ahead and move on to our main segment, which I hope will not be, you know, as supersized as last week was. We don't have any Pedro going on here. Very true. But let's talk John Wick. 
For today's main segment, we are talking about the first three John Wick films. John Wick, John Wick Chapter 2, and John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum, the one with the subtitle. <laughs> I don't think John Wick Chapter 4 has a subtitle. <laughs> it's just 4. They bailed on that so quick, I don't know. But I, I thought this was a very fun, interesting, despite my opinions on how good these movies actually are as their own movies, this was a very fun couple of days watching these i'd only ever seen the initial the original john wick i've played the john wick drinking game far more times than i possibly could remember with how insane those rules are in that game i've always loved it as the weird bizarre tropey mess that it is but these these sequels were just a new interesting bizarre treat for me but what what, what do you what do you think about these ones well i had only seen one and two once each around the time they initially came to home video. I liked one. I didn't so much care for two, <laughs> but I just never got around to three. And then obviously I watched it for the show. And, you know, I think better than two. Oh, somehow. absolutely. Like, somehow. I'll tell like, you how in the main segment. But <laughs> I, I mean, it's such a, and I don't think this is spoilers to say that it's a very direct sequel to two. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it is still so much better than two. I watched them pretty much back to back, or at least I start, I finished it started back to back. I thought it was such a, a pleasant upgrade considering that it really is like slapped up right against it. It's, I'm not always there for it when movie franchises do that. I, I can appreciate it when it happens and they do it well, but. For whatever reason, specifically with these three movies having them be so close in proximity together, I think it's kind of awesome. I kind of think it's rad and it adds to this weird saga that has been unfolding since I was in high school and I thought it was going to be as complicated as a gold coin, but oh boy, is it way more complicated than a gold coin. I think that unlike something like Quantum of Solace and Casino Royale, where just the premise of that is awesome enough that it works and you feel the kinetics of going into quantum and we talked about that on our episode where we talked about casino royale and quantum of solace that is a huge part of the reason for me that i like quantum of solace is how connected it is to casino royale i do think for the john wick movies though it adds a little bit of weird dissonance because the first john wick is so scrappy and so, like, John Wick mm. feels so isolated despite the fact that he has things like the Continental. And then in 2 and 3, they're like, hey, we gotta build out this crazy lore for the John Wick <laughs> universe. And it's like, but where was this lore 24 hours ago? Yeah, less than a week ago, I think is what they say. That also means that John Wick kills, like, 300 people <laughs> over the course <laughs> like a week. of, like, a week, yeah. Uh. These movies are hard because... As fun and cool as the action is, it never really gets out of, like, John Wick is a really bad man who is a mass shooter. He is literally... Like, yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. That's, like, his occupation. That's his, his everyday life. You can make the argument that, especially when you get to two and three... Most of the people that he's killing are in this weird assassin guild, and they know mm. what's going on. And But there are people that he kills in the first couple that are just guys that have a job. I mean, I get I, their job. Is, okay, all right. I can't really get into what their job is involving 
one Theon Greyjoy, but you know, I can't. I, that, that's for later <laughs> in the in the main segment. You know, I like that you keep saying the main segment, like we're not in the main segment. Or right the now. spoilers. I'm sorry. This it happened so suddenly. We only had a Netflix niceness, Garrett. You can't you can't rush me. The ballooning of the lore itself through the sequels and the almost bottle. I like he literally globe trots at one point. I don't know if that's spoilery to say, but it feels like this weird bottle story because of the timeline and what he has to do involving certain hotels in certain cities. The inflation of the lore, the insane rate that it spikes in the sequels. I think it just it works enough for me because it's so silly that I don't have to take it as seriously as maybe they are trying to make it are they trying to make it super serious are they trying to let me be like this is absolutely ridiculous and i'm having fun here what do you think i think it's hard because i think it's both i think (laughs) that's why i'm confused (laughs) i can't tell if i need to be like i'll be seeing you is that that important do i need to know what the hell that's about that's actually probably my favorite bit of lore in these movies, <laughs> only because they don't explain it. They do not explain it at it, all. That's when this trilogy is at its best. Here's some crazy stuff. We're not going to explain it, just you're rolling with it. When they sit down with Ian McShane and he pours himself a glass of scotch and he's like, well, actually, he's always got the martini, I guess. He's right, got the three yes. olive martini. But he sits down on his couch in the continental and he goes, Jonathan. You know that you can't do this because of <laughs> rules. And there he are goes, consequences there are... <laughs> when you break those rules. And... <laughs> because there are two rules in the movie where then by the end of the next movie, there's like a hundred thousand rules there's that they so, have to know. There's so there's many Way more rules. than two. <laughs> there was a simplicity at a time that I definitely appreciated. But now I'm like, give me the asa- the Continental Guild graphic novel series where i'm just gonna it's based it's just turning into assassin's creed lore where everything is so connected i think there's an hbo max show maybe that's is there there's a continental show that is in development i did remember that was in development at one point i didn't know if that was still happening we have the technology (laughs) continental tv show it's gonna be three 90 minute episodes Mel Gibson, no! Oh, what? <laughs> Wait, starring or, like, producing? What is he? What? He's in it! What What just happened, Garrett? There's nobody in <laughs> this movie that I know. They've because, got, like, oh, it's, it's set in the past. There's a guy playing young Winston and young Charlie. Oh, what? Uh, That's kind of cool. I... Oh, yeah, there's, there's young Lance Reddick. Oh, and... man. Oh, that is weird. I'm that kinda, is so strange. I don't know. I'm kind of into this, except for the Mel Gibson part. Mel Gibson part? Yeah, that's the part where I'm having problems myself, Garrett. I don't know if you heard my reaction before. I mean, I say this having my Get the Gringo Blu-ray not 10 feet behind me on my Blu-ray um, shelf, but... Yeah, but I don't know. Now Mel Gibson, I just feel like... I mean, not that he wasn't already bad when Get the Gringo came say, out. Get the Gringo was like 10 years ago, dog. <laughs> I don't know if that was that long. You have like Mad Max. That was fine, I think, maybe back then. Oh, yeah, because the it's 1979 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When this first was announced, I was hoping that it was going to be basically like Lance Reddick's concierge character, the show. Because that's another thing I didn't 
remember, he is such a larger, or I guess this is something I didn't know about the sequels. He's a much larger part of the overall goings on of John Wick's adventure that I, I'm very happy to see that he was so highlighted. Yeah, and I'm excited to see, not without getting any spoilers, I'm excited to see where, where that character goes. Yes, in yes, four. I enjoyed three enough that I'm glad I watched two, but I cannot in good conscience really recommend people watch two, even though if you're going to watch three, you should watch two. That's where I'm at right now. I think if you're going to watch them, you watch them all and you watch them in either one sitting or in like two days. I I don't think I could have even gotten through the second one as much as I did with as much attention as I paid to it if I didn't bump it right up with the ending of one and the beginning of three. I think I would have just gotten lost in the sauce more than I did and, and just almost ignored all of it. I found myself getting so bored with that second one, even though it's John Wick. It should be all excitement, basically, but even the action was getting me yawning. There are some highlights, I think, in two that we'll get into in spoilers, but it's mistake, and I know this is funny for somebody who just said that the Continental show sounds interesting. Their big mistake in two is that they think we care about the lore, which we don't. We don't care about the lore. Well, I mean, uh, there's we don't so care about the lore. Stupid... The way it's okay, presented sure. in two. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. The it goes way they back to what develop I was... it further in three. That's when it comes around. It goes back to what I was saying before. I think about in one, almost none of the lore is explained. And so it's just this weird assassin society that exists in New York City, and you don't really understand what's going on and what's the deal with the coins and why, you know. And then you get to two and they're like, well, here's the reason for everything. And I just don't (laughs) want that. When I want the world expanded, I want it to be cool. I don't want it to be a rule book. That's another bit of a problem that I have as these movies are going forward. And I, I, uh, when do we call spoilers? We're pretty much just get, we're laying it out there. At this yeah. Point, okay. But... Let's let's go ahead and call spoilers. I, I apologize that we're, <laughs> we're calling it mid thought. We like one. We'd like three, not as much as one, but more than two, because two's not good. Two has to be there for dumb building blocks that come back. But I, I yes, I agree. But they they are trying to have their cake and eat it too with like the logistics of the continental and the high table and having it be like, oh, the high table is still this super mysterious thing. The elder is this person who is obviously somehow younger than John Wick, who's in charge of things right now. And that's not going to get explained. But then they want us to adhere to the strictness of these rules that they're keeping half mysterious, half explained. It gets a little muddy in that, right? And that's when it's like the rules of the weird switchboard room that has vaguely misogynistic overtones that is like the that core of the assassin thing. world. It's all women and the guy who plays the penguin in Gotham. <laughs> I thought that was the penguin. <laughs> I had to pause it because I did think it was like another badass tatted up woman who's like on a typewriter and like in big winged glasses like it's the 50s. Well, it's interesting because that aesthetic, it, it's a very hipster aesthetic, right? It's like the the. 50s. 50s fashion and mm. accessorizing with the dark beard sleeves of tattoos thing that was really popular and like way before these movies were coming out it was like a really big <laughs> yeah. thing in like 2011 because yeah. they don't really introduce that switchboard until like towards the end of the second one of the I second one the thing I really like about the second one that I wish they had executed better, but I think this idea is great, is using the Continental as an actual plot device. Mm. Obviously, you have the action sequence in the first one with Adrian Palicki, who is great. 
my big takeaway from the first one is that, man, I wish they hadn't killed all these people that I would <laughs> like to see in more John Wick movies. Dude, Willem, how could <sighs> they do that in the first movie? Willem Dafoe, gone. Adrian Palicki, gone. Dennis Duffy, Dean Winter. Oh, dude. Gone. He goes I, out so hard, too. In he that gets cr- slammed by the side of a drifting car and <laughs> shot dead but from the from the driver's seat window. It's so brutal. And so I wish that, you know, more of these characters would come back. But yeah, you've got that cool Adrian Pleaky scene, and it's like, obviously, she gets got for that. In the second one, the idea of the fight stops now, and we have a scene where our two adversaries talk. I think that's a really cool idea. Mm-hmm. And trying to put Wick in a believable situation where he would be willing to break the only rule that we have really established in this mm-hmm. whole universe, except for the stupid marker thing, which I don't actually hate. I don't think they push him hard enough into to make me buy that he would kill this guy. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think they were going for like a like a shock kill thing where it's like, "Oh, you don't think he's going to do it and he does it." But I was shocked in the way that I'm like, "Oh, this is why would they have him do it that way? Why like this is a dumb like sure it subverted my expectation that he wasn't going to blow this dude away." in the middle of the dining room or whatever, but, like, in a way that I thought that it was not done well, so it, it kind of backfired. Two is rough. I will say, I don't know if you caught this, Seamus. I, this is just as good a place to bring it up as any. <laughs> Two UWM alumni in the John Wick universe here. We got Willem. Willem. And who's the and, other one? Uh, Chakawuji is in, in two. He's one of the guys in two. What? Is that true? Did yeah. I just completely <laughs> not notice that, I guess? It would have been, like, really early in his career. Because, like, the first thing I even really knew him in was Peacemaker, which didn't come out that long ago. Mm. So, it makes sense that he would just kind of fly under the radar. He's just one of the guys that the Italian siblings are meeting with. In the, <laughs> sure, sure. In yeah, yeah, club. yeah. Oh, man, I was so pumped about the, like, Italy angle, but they barely do anything in Italy, right? He, like, goes to assassinate the sister, and then yeah. she does his job for him in a really weirdly graphic kind of suicide. It's that rough. I, it's, it's, like, I it's didn't like much. watching it. Yeah, That scene is well written like i like the interplay between those two characters but i think that it's too brutal i think that i think that this movie sometimes gets in its own way especially too by having the violence be too much and it overshadows everything else in the movie Mm. john wick is nothing if not a highlight of excellent violence in every way but you're not wrong Two two kind of toes the line a little more muddy than i would like I remember my mom and I watched John Wick Chapter 2, and I remember when we got to the pencil seed, and my mom just kept going, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Had she never seen The Dark Knight before? That's a thing. I think there's a difference between The Dark Knight, where it's bang, zoom, (laughs) there's no blood, there's no- Pencil is gone. It's just shocking. And the fact that your brain has to take a second to, like, process what happened, I think actually makes it more effective, as opposed to just, like, okay, he's gonna put you into this guy's brain, through his ear, and you're gonna see all the blood, and then you're gonna see it go into a guy's eye, and then the back of his neck, and then... (laughs) Oh, God. He does the John Wick classic, where he, like, he puts the pencil in his ear, and then he pushes his head onto the pencil, where he's, like, hitting it harder so that his defense breaks. It's just, like... Un- 
unbearable to watch. That is that is so so gross. It's too much. And I think that 1 and 3 have a really good balance of violence and comedy. Humor comes from the pacing of the violence a lot of the time. You get highlights of it in 2, especially everything with Common, who I think is great in Oh, two. hell yeah, dude. I agree. Because they have the little moment where they're shooting each other, trying to be sly about shooting each other from across yeah, the room. In, and a, in a hallway full of people on two different levels, they're just subtly hitting each other with the silenced pistols. Then they're at Lincoln Center and the fountain drops and they see each other across the fountain. I think that that's not really funny. Oh, that's just cool. That's just like, that was just a kind of a cool sequence in that. But then the same thing where they're like, they fall down the stairs, and then they get to the landing. The shot is at the bottom of two flights of stairs, and so you know the fact that there are more stairs at the bottom is like a promise of, like, don't worry, they're going to fall down the stairs some more. <laughs> oh, yeah. In three, also, there there's a lot of good moments in the act, like, built up in the action with the glass factory. The we I mentioned before we started the knife fight where they're just in a room of throwing knives, just nonstop throwing knives at each other. And that's so brutal. And I think that that's kind of the the chapter three version of the pencil scene where you're just shocked by how visceral the <laughs> violence is. But it just works so much better in three. One, because it doesn't feel like John Wick is just destroying these guys. It feels like an actual fight, which I think is part of the reason that the brutality mm. of two falls so flat sometimes, is that I'm like, John Wick could just kill anyone, no problem. It's just going to happen. It's an inevitability that John Wick is going to kill these guys. And not that I'm ever actually afraid for John Wick in Chapter 3, but that there is a little bit more tension to it. I think also a highlight of 3 for me is during the scene in Casablanca where he and Halle Berry and her cool dogs with Hell bulletproof yeah. vests are all in that big fight. There's the bit where Wick and the guy run out, out at the same of, time. It's and actually it, Wick and two other guys two all other run guys. out of bullets at the same time. And they kind of do like a bit, they do like a Mission Impossible <laughs> bit where they're like, yeah, oh, dude. I, and then obviously Wick gets his reload and kills them. But I'm kind of listing all of these examples in a big pot to tie it off, and I think you know where I'm going to take this, because the first shot of two and three, not the first shot of three, but very early in three, they have Buster Keaton. I noticed that too, and I, I thought I was like, I thought I didn't see it right, because it's in like a big, bright New York Times Square. Mm -hmm. In the third one, it's in Times Square. In the second one, they're just projecting it on the side of a building. Yeah, yeah, dude. Yes, I, <laughs> I, I thought that was so interesting. And it's clear that Chad Stahelski could be the director of these films who is really good I think at directing even though I don't like to he is also Keanu's stuntman on the Matrix movies and stuff and I think you can tell that this movie is made by stunt people oh yeah it's clear that he views Wick and specifically Keanu as a contemporary Buster Keaton not only in the type of action comedy that he's doing but also Keanu has this very stoic kind of stone-faced, like, yeah, I'm just here doing my thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That he does have a Keaton-esque quality, and I think it's an interesting way to kind of frame John Wick 
as a modern day silent film star. That's why I like to not take it so seriously. Like he's lumbering through all these set pieces, decimating every single body that comes in his way, but is, you know, he's getting thrown through stuff. He's got the straight face. He's barely like reacting to being shot, stabbed, beaten unconscious with a pipe, got his fingers cut off. He's doing all this crazy stuff in like the span of a week. What do you, what do you think of the like, finger? Yeah, Talk to I'm me here. about the finger, Seamus. The finger? <laughs> I was like, they're really pulling because that's straight Assassin's Creed. It's the straight up the ring finger on your left hand gets chopped off in those games for dumb assassin lore reasons. So I thought it was a little weird that they strictly went that route when there's no way that they weren't aware of the bigger, the other big assassin franchise that has been going on at the exact same time. I got a chuckle when I did notice it in a fight and I was like, oh yeah, he's only got nine fingers now. Like, that's so strange. I thought it was weirder that he gave his wedding ring up, considering that was, like, the only thing that he's really been driven by for the past week of Carnage. He's just like my weird family from Belarus that I am revealing that I have now. Yeah, I don't like that part of 3. That's probably my least favorite part of 3, because it feels like... Oh, more stupid lore. Great. I love John stupid John Wick lore. is Black Widow with all the ballerina <laughs> stuff and the weird, like, old woman in charge. It's, okay, you put some respect uh, on Angelica yeah. Houston's name, Seamus. I will thank <laughs> you very sorry, much. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Apologies. Apologies. I meant more of, like, these movies get progressively longer with each one. And there was some stuff that <sighs> the I just The new one is three really hours, I hear, so... Are you kidding me? No. Dude, John Wick, don't do it to me, buddy. Come on. <laughs> Have mercy on me like Francis from the first movie. That's the other thing about three. Three's too long. Every action yeah. sequence in three is, like... A couple minutes longer than it needs to be. I think we could probably skip. I know he needs to get out of New York and we need to figure out a way to get him out of New York. I don't care about John Wick's weird origin story. I love it when the cool katana guys walk through the dancers on stage and the lights are... That that was fire. They could have cut down on a whole ten minutes of those ninja guys cutting people up if they just made it like Lawrence Fishburne is the guy that helps him get out of New York or something, and then they just double up Exactly, and then they can still cut up Lawrence Fishburne when they do the Blade Runner scene on the roof where he's holding (laughs) holding the dove, and then it goes and flies away. Is that Adjudicator Lady? Is that the lady from Mean Girls? Am I crazy? No, it is not. It's an adjudicator uh, person, first of all, Seamus. Pardon me. They're a person. Excuse me. Adjudicator person. Who was that? They were great. They're like in nothing. It must have been the voice that reminded me so much of whoever that other actor is, but they they were great and like a weird Terminator going around with a neck tattoo. It's interesting that the adjudicator is above violence. Like the adjudicator does not do violence. They have other people do yeah, violence. They, they hired the sushi guy to they, stab They hired the guy hands. from Iron Chef America. Is that who that is? The, like, you know the guy at the beginning of Iron Chef who's like, in the words of my uncle, a la cuisine. Are you messing with me? Is that really that guy? Yeah, that's that guy. That guy was so good in this movie. He was amazing. He was like a really funny bit when he's first introduced <laughs> where he like thinks the adjudicator is just a random person and then he drops his accent that he had laid uh-huh. on super thick. I thought that was very funny. I love his weird job. John Wick fanboy. He's like Belloc, but if Belloc were like Indiana Jones's number one fan. Yeah, dude, he is the Syndrome from The Incredibles. Uh, what's his, what is he before he's Syndrome? Buddy. Buddy, yeah, yeah, he's like that. 
He even has a cat instead of a dog, which I thought was I, a lovely yeah, little detail. I thought that was cute too. I'm I'm more of a cat guy myself. <laughs> I, love, I love when they get to the Continental and he gets to because <laughs> every assassin in this is so stoic and dry, and he's just like. Yeah, man, I really love killing people with my sword. I, I admire you so much, bro. It made me so legitimately sad when he dies, and then he's like, I'll catch up with you, John. Don't worry about me. I'll, I'll be fine. And he's, like, impaled, and his arm isn't working anymore, and he slumps over. Oh, it made me so sad. But I do love that the guys from the raid are his backup boys. From the raid? The Raid? You never seen The Raid? No, I never saw The Raid. If people are not familiar, great Indonesian action films, and the guys from The Raid are in a lot of American movies in kind of similar roles to this, where they <laughs> pop up, you're like, hey, it's like, the oh, guys damn. from The Raid! The guys like, from The Raid, hell yeah, that's and dope. They're like always together, it's always like the guys from The Raid. <laughs> <laughs> they're a squad, it's like dancers have troops, it's these like stunt stage fight actors have a troop. They were Kanja Club in... Force Awakens, who need their money from Han Solo. Oh, no way. That is very fine. I would not have known that. They're also chatty. They have a really good bit at the end in the giant glass fight. Oh, yeah, where, dude. Where they're, they're like, like, John, man, it's an honor to be fighting with you, just so you know. They, like, help him back up. Take a minute. You take a minute. Like, Princess Bride or something. That's exactly what I was thinking. It was the Princess Bride. Yeah, those guys are a lot of fun. A lot more fun than, than some of the other enemies that go down. John Wick's superpower is blowing the brains out of every person that comes his way. And then we get, like invincible bulletproof helmet enemy guys that come in with yeah. the Lance Reddick fight, which, granted, <sighs> love watching Lance Reddick get out on the action. I thought yeah. that was great. He still he gets, like, kind of sweaty still, but he's still like, right this way, sir. Like, here are the new shotguns that will be <laughs> armor-piercing bullets <laughs> that, that we can get out of. will blow these guys' heads open like <laughs> watermelons. <laughs> Dude, they go so hard with those shotguns. I thought it was interesting that they take away the one thing that John Wick does with the pistol headshots and they yeah. make him like kind of work for it. But once they get to the, like, the insane, powerful shotguns, I, I loved it. Well, that's the thing. It's hard because I think that that fight scene, I don't like it because the movie's too long. Mm. It's not because I don't like the fight scene, if that makes sense. Because the idea of... I have to find, like, chinks in these guys' armors to kill them through, mm -hmm. and then compound that with, we're in a swimming pool and our bullets don't go very far, so I have to get, like, right <laughs> up next to your neck to shoot you. I, and... I think bullets go a little farther than that underwater, right? Am I crazy? I thought it was fun. I don't really care. <laughs> Such a weird, limp little bullet. I way prefer the katana glass slicing, throwing mm. John Wick through Ikea bookcases. <laughs> up in the big room than I do to the rest of that Continental fight. Because that Continental fight, again, is just too long. Much mm -hmm. like every other action sequence. I know that we're really just talking about John Wick 3, which I think is interesting. <laughs> it's um, the one that we were both so unfamiliar with. It's surprisingly good. It makes sense. It's basically the Warriors, right? It's just, I gotta fight my yeah, way dude. through New York City, and there's all of these fun little gangs that have their own thing. I think probably my favorite action sequence in the entire series is the motorcycle chase toward the third act. 
where he's got his own katana on the motorcycle. On the motorcycles, oh, and he's just yeah, like dude. sending motorcycles into each other. And guys are hopping from motorcycle to motorcycle. Smashing visors with the flat of his katana before he like sticks it in the tire and like explodes their motorcycle. I like it when the guy's hand gets caught in the spokes of his own bike oh, and then dude. he... <laughs> that sucks so bad. I loved it. That's the perfect balance of brutal violence, funny comic timing of the violence and also just being cool i think that's the perfect totally. equilibrium we also got to talk about the horse the horse who he's just using as an absolute weapon to kill men in ways that are too brutal for me to think about when that he's guy like, gets kicked in the face twice he makes sure he does it like twice <sighs> fast like to be a real <laughs> jerk like uh, i would rather get stabbed or shot in the head instantly by john wick any day rather than oh no john wick's here and he has a horse he's gonna kill us all oh god no i i agree same thing with the first kill oh, in the movie with dude. the book i just like yeah just shoot him in the head man that's rough please He's so good at doing all this. I, I, I look back on, like, the... Have you ever seen his training videos at, like, the gun range? I where have. he's training in between yeah. John Wick movies that... It makes me... It, it feels great that he really does do, like, 90 to 95% of everything that John Wick does on screen. It, it makes it feel, if not a little weird, because we have talked about some of his more lumbering, wide movements that he does when he he's doing the physical hand-to-hand -hand stuff but, but i it, think that's it, character you know i really don't mind exactly that. it's this tired old he was retired damn it he was out of the game and he got dragged back in it works it works really well and i it's great when i can see keanu's face like gritting his his teeth when he's doing like real action stuff i've just got so much stuff to say about three i'm, I'm feeling bad because <laughs> like we're neglecting one there's so and many other really cool things in three that i really i like him doing the good the bad and the ugly jerry rigging oh, revolvers together yeah. that made me laugh big time because i was at first I was like, okay, he's doing a John Wick thing until he put it up to his ear to listen. And then I was just like, this is the absolute best. I'm big time on this right here. I think the best part of these movies is the concierge and John Wick's dog. The, <laughs> yeah, they're, they are best friends. <laughs> they have such a relationship. I love it. And we still don't know the name of that dog, but I I want it to be in conjuncture with the concierge. Do we know, did Lance Reddick film for John Wick 4? He just died. So I'm assuming he's in it. I haven't well, seen... I guess I was, I was more asking, like, do we know if that character is sticking around? They're so connected. I mean, if we haven't said already, they end three like they end two just like leading right into what's happening in the next scene pretty much so yeah i hate that that's the one part <laughs> something like a scene of royale where that's the end of his arc is the fact that like we're back in the action mm -hmm. that is a character moment one it makes you hyped because yeah like the next thing is coming but it also has the satisfaction of oh bond has been on this journey that has led him to this exact moment and that's telling us something about the character mm -hmm. as opposed to in john wick 2 it's just like well john there's about to be a bunch more guys coming after you <laughs> you got one hour john how do you feel about the twist at the end of three where Ian oh, McShane just Ian McShane kills shoots him? him? I mean, uh, I think it's kind of lame if I'm being honest. Me like, too. I like that character a lot. I think the relationship that they had seemed like with a lot of other of the like leaders of the different factions under the table. They were about to mutiny a little bit against the table to be like, well, John Wick here is showing us that there are a lot of holes to be poked in the structure of what we have going on here and maybe the 
table isn't all as all knowing as we are giving them credit for. And then he's just like, oh, I get to keep my hotel instead of finding an interesting way to keep it or some way to like be a part of this society. I'll just, yeah, I'll shoot John Wick in the bulletproof Italian suit, throw him off the roof. I thought they were going to do like a, like John Wick died in that refinery explosion. Didn't you see? <laughs> like I thought they were doing oh, like he was a calling con. I, I kind of thought that too uh, at first until it was just straight up not that. That would have been way more satisfying. Even though I do like the idea of John Wick and, and Lance Reddick having to not be buddies as oh. much as it pains me to say it. I'm interested so sad. in that. I think that goes back to don't make me do more and <laughs> more. <laughs> if anything, I think this is a fun backdoor to Ian McShane getting his head blowed off by a John Wick bullet and then Lance Reddick becoming the new manager of the Continental instead of the concierge. Oh, that'd be cool. But he's so good at being the concierge, though. I it's know, like but when like, he was bored, had, dude. Has he not earned his place above that? He, he's defended the the Continental with shotguns and stuff, man. He... I know John Wick goes through a lot, and I like the continuity of three, of that the bullet wound from two is still bleeding mm-hmm. in three. Yeah, I like they, that too. I'm sorry, there is literally no way he survives that fall. <laughs> oh, off of the, you mean when he gets shot at? It's <laughs> so gnarly. It's on the roof where Jack Donaghy and Avery Jessup get divorced slash married, I think. I, I so it's think high it, up yeah, there. Yeah, I always think of that as the rooftop from Spider-Man. Like that yeah, I, I, me too, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. That has a name that I can't remember right now that garden but also i don't know about the implication that like that is on the flat iron <laughs> yeah like, right like how does it's that not even make the sense? right shape i don't think to be on the roof of that building because like those are two iconic new york city landmarks that i think it's already asking Insane. us to sus- <laughs> it's, it's the continental <clears throat> yeah it's, it's already asking us to suspend our disbelief that the continental is in the flat iron it's a lot, a lot. <laughs> Considering that the front of that hotel looks like it's got a big C. It's not even like a secret hotel. It's an out loud hotel for secret guests. What, that ha- what happens if you're just a normal guy that walks into you the You go like, damn it, my layover, like my, my flight got canceled. I have to spend one more night. I'll just grab this hotel on the corner. And you walk in and Lance Reddick is like asking for a gold doubloon to stay <laughs> there. Like, what the hell? I know I just said I don't like it when they explain lore, but... I do think it's cool in 3 they reframe the coins as, like, a social currency. Part of the weird thing about the John Wick franchise is, like, how much are these coins worth? Because right? sometimes you pay for a drink with one. Sometimes you pay for a hotel with one. Sometimes you pay for a suit or a gun with one. When the guy from the Warriors... Yeah, the yes, guy, the cleaner guy, the first one. When he comes, John gives him a coin for each guy and i'm just like that's so (laughs) much money compared to what we've seen these coins buy in the second movie ian mcshane is like minting them but Mm -hmm. then in the third movie we see like the forge so it's it's like kind of all over the map here they kind of simplify it by just saying like it's more of a social thing it's a gesture of trust even though it is currency technically it's more of a like when that guy from the wire that he asks to watch adrian Yo, Leakey, that dude, gets his yeah, head blown Hen- in. henry or whatever his name is and, that makes me so sad to this day that he gets like nothing to do and he's like yeah here you want to earn a coin would you do me a favor basically yeah and- I, I i i do like that it is it is kind of just boiled down to that a little more it's just it's an explanation that asks you to not think about it as hard, and I can I can kind of accept it 
yeah. like that. Kind of the same way I can kind of accept the marker thing, which you you saying you, you didn't dislike that. I didn't really dislike that either. I just think it's a little funny where it's like, here's all these hard, fast rules that bind every assassin worldwide to a set of, you know, strict things that they can and can't do. But then you can also kind of just convince somebody if you have their marker to, to do a thing for you. Uh-huh. And it's like weird medieval pirate because assassin social that makes no sense they're so mad at john wick for killing the guy who had a seat at the high table but they're not going to be mad at that guy for gunning for his sister's seat at the high table and that like the marker because the marker even though apparently nothing supersedes the high table (laughs) except the marker the marker supersedes like it's okay for him to ask john wick to kill somebody from the high table I also imagine that when it becomes public, it was like he was gunning for his sister's seat, so he hired somebody to assassinate her and then double-crossed him in a way that exploits the system of the high table. Like, how does that not get him in trouble? Like, why does he get a pass until he gets, you know, I guess, murdered? But And I think even though there are higher highs in three, I think that's why one really is the best one for me. Because it has such an emotional simplicity. It doesn't have, like, the best action or anything. It just mm. has a really solid story that I understand the trajectory of, and it has a nice balance of the Continental is cool, but John Wick still has to be really scrappy. Like, he has to go to the vet and staple up his own stab wound. Jesus. As opposed to, in 3, you see him go to the doctor, and it's like, why didn't you go to the doctor a week ago, John? (laughs) What's going on with the weird inconsistency in the world here? And here's my big takeaway, is 2 and 3 look incredible. They are some of the best-looking action blockbusters american action blockbusters i should say the last 20 years one doesn't look that good and i wish one looked more like two and three you know i can understand one is so removed for me like even having seen the two sequels for the first time and like getting the whole scope of what's going on in the john wick verse here i feel like one has that kind of purity where he is specifically scrappy, and the lore of the Continental and the High Table did not yet seep into his very simple revenge quest of killing a man who killed his dog. The blues and the grays that they play with more in the first one kind of do it for me in that it's like such a weird, gloomy, almost over-the-top, depressed dude doing all this stuff, like, for the joke of what John Wick 1 is. I do still so appreciate the neon wonderland that they go into with New York stuff and and the expansive set pieces for the fights that they get into in 2 and 3. I'll I'll always stand by that. I will also say the soundtrack for John Wick 1 is banging. Better than the other two. Tyler Bates does the music for these with somebody else who I don't know, but Tyler Bates is the Guardians of the Galaxy guy, so he does a good job, I think. Oh yeah, there's a good level of like Euro techno beats to kill slash study slash relax to that we got going on in that first one. I love the classical music with the techno stuff under it. Oh yeah, dude. I think that's really cool. I dig that as well. There was the introduction of like the sommelier and stuff in the second one. Those are like the bulletproof vest or the bulletproof suit. Does that take away something for you? It makes a lot of the action sequences a lot easier to swallow, is what I'll say. (laughs) That is them basically being like, okay, John Wick is a little bit of a superhero now. He can take a bullet and still be fine. Sometimes it works for me better than other times. 
in the tunnels under the Italian ruins mm-hmm. that he's getting chased through. The only way he gets out of this is with that bulletproof suit. I like Peter Serafinowitz as the sommelier. I think he's having a good time. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've barely talked about Lawrence Fishburne. We've barely talked about Halle Berry. Oh, yeah, she's got her own set of backstory about, like, a daughter that she can't see, and, like... That's definitely a setup for a spinoff, right? The it's Halle gotta Berry be, right? sequence. I'm starting to get scared that they're gonna start adding in, like, canine companionship into assassin lore about, like, the first assassin had a dog that was that shaped yeah, the I, relationship for all assassins I, and dogs. I really don't want them to do that either, Me because the, the purity of John Wick's relationship with his dog is so important. I think the Halle Berry stuff is kind of cool, and it shows like a relationship between her and John. I like that she's like, he shot my dog. He's like, I get it. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Even aside from that, like, honestly, really funny joke. It's like, it shows that she has that same weird level of like, she's disconnected. She has family that is never going to be with her again. And she has to cope through non-human companionship because every other human that they know is like an assassin who would maybe kill them for enough money, even inside of the hotel that they, they got. It's a little crazy that I don't think we brought up John Wick the other week when we were talking about movies influenced by video games. Because what is John Wick? If not, you know, the most yeah. video game style get shot a thousand times but have like a hundred thousand bullets in your gun that you could (laughs) it's so funny that they're like seven bullets john wick that's all you get and then immediately abandon that concept as if i'm just gonna take another guy's gun i guess (laughs) i know i mean i think it's cool that it makes me think about the gun as a tool but also it's kind of undermined by the whole fact that John Wick can make anything a weapon but the idea that seven bullets is all you need if you can get these two guys dead and then get one of their weapons you're home free you're done he can kill anybody with anything including his hands but he's also again the thing that i am here for in the John Wick movies are swift one shot one bullet headshots that just down every guy in the room one after another and I feel like you give John Wick a gun with seven bullets he's just like all right I'll just I'll just kill seven people in a row and then get another gun and I wanted that restriction a little more especially because that was also I think the same movie where they introduced the bulletproof suit do you have any final wrap-up thoughts there's there's weirdly so much to say about these insane movies I really didn't think we were gonna have as much to say as we ended up saying yeah but but there's there's so much I genuinely I hate to say as a trilogy it's soon to be a quadrilogy I think I kind of love them a lot and it kind of makes me want to jump on that John Wick video game I like these movies. I don't know. I don't like them as much as you do. I, I, lo- I love... I, okay, I will stand by the first one forever. I will not stand by the second one probably ever unless it's in conjunction with the third one, yeah. which I actually think is fairly good. I think I, it's a good movie. Talking about it on the show, I like the third one more. I think. I'm like, yeah, man, right? there's a lot of cool stuff in the third one. Because they really, they go off the absolute walls with the lore, but it's like in in stupid enough and in bulk enough of a way where we're just like, we're kind of just taking it now. We're in the John Wick verse and we don't mind as much as, as we did maybe early on. I'll watch that 
super cursed Mel Gibson show at some point when that comes out, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, I probably will, too. I hate that it's Mel Gibson. Dude, Why is it? Donnie Yen and Mel Gibson are both, like, <laughs> creeping around the John Wick-verse, like, slowly canceling everything. I feel like in the eyes of the public, Donnie Yen is still mostly fine. Like, Mel Gibson, why would you Mel ever Gibson- cast <laughs> Mel Gibson in something? But Seamus, why don't we move it on over to the pop culture reference? Let's do it. For today's pop culture reference, we're going to be issuing a light spoiler warning. If you have not watched Season 3, Episode 4 of The Mandalorian, you may want to skip ahead. Through our Mandalorian segment, probably, which is (laughs) coming up right after this. But for today's pop culture reference, we're going to be talking about Ahmed Best's role in the Star Wars universe. Ahmed Best is best known for his work as the motion capture and voice artist for Jar Jar Binks in the Star Wars prequel films. Though the special effects work done on Jar Jar in The Phantom Menace was groundbreaking for its time, Best was targeted directly with violent threats, racist hate mail, and unrelenting feedback of disapproval from fans and critics worldwide. Best was unfortunately one of the first of many leads in Star Wars that were bullied for their performances to the point of personal and life-threatening crisis, including Best's on-screen co-stars Jake Lloyd and Hayden Christensen. Best continued to reprise the role of Jar Jar throughout the prequel trilogy, the Clone Wars TV show, various video games, animated Lego specials, and even direct parody projects like Robot Chicken, despite the hate and undeserved controversy he garnered from his initial role in The Phantom Menace. Best took up another role within the Star Wars universe in 2020 with the web-based kids' challenge game show Jedi Temple Challenge as Jedi Master Kelleran Beck. Though the web series was largely considered non-canon within the Star Wars universe, the latest episode of The Mandalorian has inserted the now-canonized Beck into the story using the loose character work from Jedi Temple Challenge as its base. In interviews, Best himself has stated that Ahmed Beck his unmasked cameo role in Attack of the Clones, and Kelleran Beck are directly related to each other, but no official source has confirmed this canon. I know we're, like we said up top on this, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves in Mando Bros, but like, man, what an absolute surprise that that he's being reinserted like this. I haven't gotten a chance to see the uh, Jedi Temple Challenge, but I... Well, I've, I've seen very small clips at this point now, and it seems like it's very goofy and a lot of fun, and there's, like, a weird Sith Lord character that has, like, the final challenge yeah. for the kids. But, I mean, it's it's uh, Legends of the Hidden Temple, but Star Wars. But Star Wars. Legends of the Hidden Jedi Temple Challenge. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's a very direct <laughs> reference. <laughs> yes, yes. I remember during the pandemic, I was like, I'll watch a couple of those, and I watched, I think, two, and I was like, this is fun, and I'm glad Ahmed Best is back, and this is so for kids, and I'm not watching anymore. <laughs> I mean, it, if they had this when I was watching, like, Fetch with Ruff Ruffman on PBS as a kid, yeah. I would be watching it every day. I would be, like, totally. trying to get on the show. That that would be my whole thing. But Seven-year-old Seamus is seven-year-old Garrett, like, we're Seamus <laughs> and Garrett, we're from the Chicagoland <laughs> area, and we're auditioning to be on... Star Wars Jedi Temple Challenge. <laughs> you know, you know, you bet your ass I would be wearing my costume shop clip-on Jedi Apprentice braid that I got from a Halloween costume yes. in that same era. I think it's fascinating the way that they're inserting Kelleran Beck, which is, I think, 
maybe soon to be a lot of people's favorite Jedi. We, we we're not really quite sure what's going to happen in well, the future of this character, but yeah, I think it's. I think uh, we're going to have to transition to Mando Bros to keep talking about it. I th- I think so. I, I all I'll say is that there is finally some some stuff coming around for Ahmed Best, somebody that I personally have always admired even as as a kid as a small baby boy watching the phantom menace i never had a problem with jar jar binks i was a kid and i would talk about that movie and people would be like and jar jar am i right and i would just be like i do not understand what you're saying i don't know what you're talking about he's funny he's (laughs) he's he's got a lot of he's got a good funny voice his design is insane i i always loved him and i'm glad he gets to kind of have his actual face come back around here a little bit now, I'm going to disagree with you on multiple points. I know, James. I know you are. I've had this my whole life, Garrett. I've been in this fight since I was six years old, okay? I understand. I'm not a, I'm not a Jar Jar defender, but I am obviously an Ahmed Best defender, not only because the harassment and life-ruining treatment mm, yeah. that he experienced in the aftermath of Phantom Menace and beyond is deplorable and shouldn't happen to anyone but i also think that best has taken it so well in such stride and has really worked hard to not let it keep him down and to continue working not only in acting but in the star wars universe how imagine being willing after all of that to come back to star wars you know i i admire that so Genuinely, I think to this day, this I mentioned it before, this isn't the last person who has been relentlessly bullied worldwide for just being in Star Wars and directed to act a certain way or written to act a certain way. These actors giving the best of what they have to a role that they've been given and they're they're crushed for it. But this man, he, he took it in stride. I think it's especially admirable that he can even do things like the the robot chicken and the Lego mm-hmm. Star Wars things where they're going to make jokes about like Jar Jar kind of sucking to the other people in the universe. But like, I think that just shows such honest bravery to be willing to go back to the frenzy of what Star Wars fans can be. And I think he's come through tenfold with the, with the work he's been doing. I, I, I appreciate it so much. And I'm excited to talk more about his potential role in the universe with this relatively new character when we move on to Mando Bros. What do you say we kick it on over? Let's do it. Now it's time for Mando Bros, our weekly breakdown of The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. This week we're touching on what might be the shortest episode of The Mandalorian ever put out. I, I guess I didn't crunch the numbers on that, but... <laughs> This is uh, season three, episode four, which is definitely something. called something. It's definitely got a name. It's definitely I, called the Foundling. Is what it's, it's definitely, definitely called, called the Foundling. This is, uh, I mean, maybe the shortest, but maybe the most whiplash I've ever gotten from a Mandalorian episode. I thought this was not as good as the previous few episodes. I mean, well, it was. Be- I think it's better than the premiere. It's not nearly as good as episodes two and three. But it does still have some really interesting things going on, and I feel like we have to be pretty vague about everything we're talking about until we call spoilers. I feel like we should call spoilers. Not yeah, much, like, I agree. outside of the world of lore has changed in terms of, like, the covenant. Hey, Gar- let's call spoilers real quick. And Garrett, did you know that if you use blasters on that dragon bird, it'll hurt the child? Did you know that? Did you know that if you use 
weapons? Do you know that you need to climb the mountain and not use your blaster or else it will hurt the child? I feel like it felt like I was in the most annoying <laughs> PS2 oh, mission no. yes, I've dude, ever yes. done. And also, okay, I think you must be right about your theory that I think I even cut out of the episode where we talked about in the season opener that you're like, maybe the Mandalorians picked this planet because it's, like, dangerous. Because <laughs> there's just another evil big creature that they're they're just hanging out on the beach and then something's going to come attack them. Well, and that's how this get world this. works, I guess. It's not, even, it's not even just another one. It's one that they just consistently deal with. They're like, the last time this happened, <laughs> we used blasters and it alerted the thing and it killed the child. And it's like, you haven't solved this problem yet? You're just like... Well, the jetpacks can't go that far, so we'll wait for it to take the next one or whatever. I yeah, this this was a weird episode because I thought that 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 plot was really dumb and I didn't care at all. And yeah, they tried to sneak in that the kid is uh, a Vizsla. He's uh, yeah, he's the he's the son of John Favreau out here, which who may or may not be John Favreau. Now I'm listening to the voice. And I'm like, is it not John Favreau? It might not because that's. I was thinking that I was like, well, Garrett. Garrett assures me that it's John Favreau, and I won't check. But I it doesn't I, really sound like. I him. wonder if he was played by John Favreau in season one, and then they like changed the actor because <laughs> I. I am almost positive that he was played by John Favreau early I feel days. Like Mando. I remember that being true at one point too, but he's so prevalent now. You think John Favreau's getting up in that armor every day for shooting? Well, I don't. I don't think he's. Pl- I don't think he was ever in the suit. Oh, like the the body of him. You yeah, just I think, think he was just the voice. I don't know. I think it also might just be the fact that Pre Vizsla on the Clone Wars obviously is played by John Favreau, and this guy sounds kind of like John Favreau. So <laughs> I just kind of assumed that. John Favreau, who makes this show, is in that suit. It also makes it seem to me like all of the tension that I thought we were alluding to at the end of last week with maybe Paz Vizsla is going to have some problems with Bo-Katan and Mando. Seemingly no, because they just saved his child. Like, not only that, it's like, it seems like out of nowhere, Paz Vizsla, he doesn't really care about the plan or the thing that the Mandalorians are supposed to be doing, which is like hunting in a smart way. He's uh-huh. just like, that's my boy in there. That's my boy. And he runs in head first like nothing matters. And then they save him. And it, yeah, it seems like they're buddy-buddy now. So it, it feels like an episode of The Bad Batch where they come back and they're like, <laughs> yeah, we got these babies to raise. And Dude, like, yeah, that's what I thought too. That What are they going to do with those? Like, what, are the, what well, is they're the gonna plan? Ride. I mean, I know they're the, going to raise and ride them, the, but like... The, in the season finale, when Bo-Katan rides the Mythosaur, the other Mandos are going to ride those things. And then they're going to be like, hey, I know a Mandalorian who runs Mos Ispa who rides another giant monster. Let's no, call him in. Don't. You know it's going to happen, dude. You no, know it's going to happen. No, I can't man. I can't let you think that it's not, because you're going to hurt I, more when it does happen. I'm not prepared for the inevitable Boba Fett showing up on this season of The Mandalorian. Uh, I, well, you, just have to, you just have to let it wash over you and trust that. Well, no, Robert Rodriguez will definitely direct that episode, too, so no. I can't even say that it won't. <laughs> Heaven. No. Oh, no. I'm sorry, you, buddy. Robert Rodriguez, do good things again, please. Isn't it funny how the only Robert Rodriguez things we've ever done on the show are the worst things ever between <laughs> the Book of Boba Fett and, and We Could Be Heroes? Like, what are we doing? People who don't know Robert Rodriguez besides through this show think he's bad, and that's that's a disservice. The Back to the important part, the important half of this episode, or I guess the important ten minutes of this episode. I want to save that for last, Chavis, because once, okay, we, okay. once we're 
done with this. We're not going back to the stupid Mandalorians. We've got gaslit Bo-Katan who's like, I swear I saw it. And they're like, I see it every day, pal. You know? <laughs> like, the armor does not care that she straight up saw him in the sword. It's very, it's very goofy. But, like... You know, there's some weird. She says this is the way, and she's got the signet of the of the mythosaur now, and yep. we're kind of seeping more into that. But she's gonna have to straight up bring the mythosaur to this weird planet that they're hiding on for them to believe it. Did you know that uh, your ancestors ruled the great <laughs> mythosaur? <laughs> I do. That's my favorite impression that you do. I think I really did think you were gonna say. Did you know that? Uh, if you use your blasters, you can alert the beast <laughs> and hurt the child. That'd be pretty funny, too. Uh, I like the little Grogu sending this kid to school. Oh, with- yeah. Mando Mando school. That's pretty fun. With the paintballs. And, like, I like that Grogu is like, I am above this. I will, yeah, he's I holding back? Yeah. <laughs> Little baby green boy is holding back that he could, like, John Wick snap this kid's neck if he wanted to. If he does his backflip and gets around him. Imagine how, like, because Ahsoka would be like, yeah, boy, you show him. But I feel like <laughs> Luke would be like, okay, Grogu, you, we know we're not supposed to do that. Yeah, Luke Skywalker, what a wet blanket. He's not, he's trying to... <laughs> That's what I've always said about Luke Skywalker. He is a uh, buzzkill. I bet he trains a bunch of murderers later in his life, you know? <laughs> I like that the the Mando gear that they're making for him, like, the armor makes him a new pendant to, like, be, like, a weird like bullet a in a Bible-style chest plate, which I like. I was thinking about Good, the Bad, and the... Or not Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. That's Fistful of Dollars. That's Fistful of Dollars, yeah, yeah, exactly. A lot of Mando gear seems to be usable by him, regardless regardless of his weird species and size. So I'm I'm excited to see him get decked out a little more. <laughs> the kid asks why he doesn't wear a helmet. And now we're certain that Grogu is going to talk in this show because he oh, says yeah. that Grogu can't speak yet to take the creed. And they're already kind of teasing it with the joke from last week where he tries to say this is the way. <laughs> oh, you know he's going to say the way this is and get a new helmet. I mean, it's got to happen. Uh, yeah. That's, Do you think I, that's a... Does Yoda have a speech impediment or does that just how they speak? Is that... How does Yaddle that work? in the Tales of the Jedi show does not speak <laughs> backwards. You're <laughs> kidding me. Yoda's just like that? That's just how he learned to speak? That's very funny. I believe that Frank Odd... This is definitely not canon. I remember reading a Frank Oz interview once where he was talking and he was like, well, in my thoughts, Yoda talks like that because his master spoke like that. And so it's his way of carrying on the wisdom of his master. It could just be whoever trained him was a species that spoke trade common like that. Like Yoda. Like Yoda speaks. I guess that's fair. I was kind of expecting little baby Yoda speak this whole time. How insufferable yeah. might that turn into? I don't know. Yoda never gets annoying to me, really, so... But he's, like, cute old man. This would be, like, baby cooing gibberish nonsense also speaking in tongues kind of thing. I <laughs> yeah, feel like that might get a little... Know. That wear, might wear on you. Okay, I think now it's time, Seamus, to talk about our snipe. Yeah! I was thinking about this, too. We <laughs> called it from... Ten parsecs away, baby. We we absolutely made this. We manifested this like the secret. It's amazing. <laughs> it's really crazy that, as mentioned during our pop culture reference, Ahmed Best in a flashback to Order sixty six is 
not only back in the Star Wars universe, but the guy who got Grogu out of the Jedi Temple. Canonical, absolute, uber badass, Kelleran Beck, double lightsaber, slaying the 501st at the Jedi Temple. I was so shocked and taken aback when that elevator opened and our boy hit him with the come with me if you want to live, Sarah Connor style. Mm -hmm. But man, the speeder chase through Coruscant, awesome. The lightsaber play is incredible. And we get to see the mountain again. Yeah, the mountain. Dude, I noticed that too. That was two two episodes in a row. I liked that in in different eras of what that mountain represented. Mm Mm-hmm. But am I crazy in assuming that, let's say there's a total of three senators from Naboo I, on Coruscant. This is what we're getting to. Yeah. Okay. So let's, so let's think about this, right? We know that the Nubian starfighter that he brings Grogu to that has Naboo guards waiting with it. So it's and not... Naboo blasters with that patented sound that I mm-hmm. love oh so much. So we know it's a Naboo ship. It's not just a Nubian starfighter that is, you know, used by somebody else. It looks just like the one that Padme uses in episodes two and three, but we know it's not hers because hers is very specifically on Mustafar. Her, her, well, it's about to be on Mustafar. Right. More accurately. Uh, it, it, in route too, or I guess maybe a little later. There's a couple of questions here because... If it's not Padme's, and Padme, we know Padme is not involved in this little plot here. It could be that Bail Organa sent somebody, theoretically, even though he's from Alderaan. He's from Alderaan, my friend. There is somebody who may be looking to repent for their actions, who may be a senator from Naboo, who may have access to a (laughs) Nubian starfighter. Misa excited, (laughs) Misa very excited is all I can say. I could not want anything more than the double redemption. One of of a character that was so wrongfully tarnished that I will stand by, Jar Jar Binks could be the savior of Grogu, the Mandalorian. And don't even forget, what does Grogu eat all the time? Jesus Christ, it's Jason Bourne. That, oh my God. I didn't even think of that part of everything, dude. That is so incredible. Kelleran Beck, God bless him. That is the new the new man for sure, but could you imagine Kelleran Beck and Jar Jar Binks being close personal friends that they have like each other's communicator frequencies to get out of there? I, I would love that kind of interaction. It would maybe literally give... Ahmed Best time on screen to, like, make a weird kind of peace with the character of Jar Jar Binks in a way that would, like, quell some rabid fans who would take any chance to dunk on Jar Jar, but I think well, I think back. in the last few years, especially with the rise of, like, sequels are the trendy thing to hate right now, a lot of Star Wars fans are like, we never hated Jar Jar. That was, that was toxic people. That Fake wasn't fans. Us. The real fans always stood by the prequels, which is just not true. Fully not true. I, I'm glad I, I was bored at a time where I was too young to know what I was looking at on the VHS tapes of my prequel movies, but... I feel like he has to be going to the Gungans, right? Like, he has to be going to the Gungans. Like, where else is he going? I guess it's lesser of a new character than I thought after doing our research on Keller and Beck as a game show, (laughs) intergalactic game show host on Coruscant. But I want this character to be... I want, like, a lot more of Keller and Beck in whatever that may be. Comics or a spinoff show or a whole episode where it's, like, him and Grogu trying to get to Jar Jar or the Gungans or something. 
I, I'm just really hoping he doesn't die in some way. Well, I, I know it's, it's also... It's funny you say that, because I was about to say, I hope he dies soon. No! Not, be, no! not because I have any problem with Ahmed Best or Kellerin Beck, but because every time they introduce a new Jedi that survived Order that 66... That survived Order 66, yeah, I'm like, I know. we need to kill this guy. And sometimes they're, sometimes they're good at doing that, you know? And I and I don't know what, what's going to happen in Jedi Survivor, of course, that's coming up oh, soon. Oh my, could you imagine, dude, if um, Kellerin Beck in Jedi Survivor would be <laughs> That's amazing. not even what I'm talking about, but okay. That's what I'm talking about, dog. We have so many people we want to... Every week we come up with a new person we want to be in the in Jedi Survivor. Uh, Kumail from Obi-Wan is That, that is the one that we both want, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When we know where certain legacy characters end up, that they die in a certain way, or that they have a, an ending that is satisfying. But some of these more open-ended characters like Cal Kestis, like Keller and Beck, I'm like, okay, I need us to cool it a little bit on adding Jedi that survived the, the Purge. Also, I hate to say this, I just want to watch the show that is... Grogu on the run after Order sixty six. We could just fully get rid of the the, the stuff the that's Mandalorian going on day Mandalorian. Honestly, hell yeah, dude! I would be really interested to see something like that, especially with what seems like crazy liberties they're taking on. Like, how the hell did Grogu do the things that he did without being found out or hurt by the time that like the Empire has fallen? So, I mean, it's it's gonna be there's gotta be a lot that goes down. I think regardless, even if he's not going to the Gungans, even if we're not getting Jar Jar, I think we're going to Naboo soon, so I'm Which, very excited about that. Again, we our, sniped our it. mutual favorite planet, maybe? One yeah. of our favorite planets? It's certainly my favorite planet. I said that on the show a couple weeks ago, and I meant it. Yeah, it's 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 incredible. I I love it. I wanna I want more there. We we both already know some stuff that they do in like the comics and and other things where they go back to Naboo with very interesting angles post, uh, Phantom Menace post you know Order sixty six stuff. So I I'm very curious to see if the if even if it's just that how how that's gonna go. As anticipated, I think now that we now that we've talked about the flashback sequence, I think we're done talking about <laughs> again. Mando. This was like twenty nine minutes flat. You take away it was like thirty minutes, thirty two minutes with credits and the intro or something. It's it, not a lot happened, but I'm excited for next week to see more of this flashback that I assume we're getting. It's a mixed bag, but it's keeping me engaged more than I thought it was yeah. going to. So it, we, I think last week we both said like this this episode is going to be the decider, but now it's like. You get one more week, Mandalorian, <laughs> or, or it's your badge on my desk. If it had just been the foundling gets the, taken the dragon by, thing? Oh, yeah, then it would have be been done. like, well, but it was a good run. But now we're li- we're limping along just a little bit further. That I I'm I'm still pumped for Wednesday. But let's go ahead and save the Jedi Temple. I mean, save the Rex Center. Let's save it. Save the Rex Center. Now it's time to save the rec center, where we bring you our weekly recommendations. Seamus, what do you got for us? Well, with our main segment today, I am rec centering an assassin-based piece of media. Until about the beginning of this week, I had never thought I would ever play an Assassin's Creed game again after Black Flag, which was a launch game for PS4 
maybe the best pirate video game ever made, like, regardless of its ties with Assassin's Creed. And after that, I was just like, well, everything kind of sucks now, and they changed the controls, and the lore is just, like, absolutely all over the place. I care less and less every time I play it. But I gave Assassin's Creed Rogue Remastered a shot the other day. It is a game that I've always wanted to play, but it came out at the exact same time as Black Flag as a PS3 I, I remember that. I remember, you remember that coming out, yeah. What a jerk move to dangle an awesome concept like, you are an ex-assassin turned Templar hunting assassins. That's awesome. Why keep that exclusive to a generation that was already on its way out? But now, because of the PS Plus collection, I gave it a shot incredible it's everything that i missed about assassin's creed it's the classic controls it's the classic wall climbing that doesn't make you rip your hair out the naval combat that black flag perfected and they just copy and pasted that exact same thing over to this game brand new maps of like northern canadian wilderness territory frontier stuff doesn't you know hit you over the head too hard with the war the the seven years war thing that they're they're building up to it's a lot of fun dude if you if you liked black flag in any way if you miss when assassin's creed was a lot more simple and just there for the fun of it instead of how bloated they could possibly make it it's it's definitely worth checking out especially since it's been remastered only a couple years ago and it, for the first time playable on not a ps3 so it, it's it's definitely a hidden gem i have never actually played black flag so i think i've got to get to that first oh yeah dude definitely do that first and then go over to freedom cry which is the slave liberation mini story and then go over to rogue because that's like a little trilogy of peak of assassin's creed in the last time it was ever good basically so it's definitely worth checking out well you know i didn't have a ps4 for a long long like i never had a ps4 so ps5 it's on the ps plus collection i believe so i should just download it and technically i think every single one is on the ps plus collection except for the original which was never remastered in any way so i think they took valhalla off now too Ah, i see i see which i actually rec centered a few years ago on this show, I I do like Valhalla, but I think like most of those bloated modern Assassin's Creed games, it's way too long and I'm more interested in the aesthetics of it than I am the actual story or gameplay. Oh, I, th- yeah. I especially things like uh, like Odyssey and Origins, I am way more interested in the discovery mode, the museum mode of of oh, those yeah, where you're just learning sure. and experiencing the world. Valhalla, I think, is a little bit better, but I've always heard great things about Black Flag. Black Flag was, even in an era where I didn't play a lot of video games, a video game I was very interested in playing. Definitely do that, and then, you know, if you are so inclined, which you will be because Black Flag is kind of a, weird to say it, a modern masterpiece of gaming, Rogue is right around the corner for you, and it's another, like, really interesting, fun story with pretty much a copy and paste of all of the fun mechanics that they got rid of in the new stuff. But what do you have this week to save the rec center? I've been going back and forth on a couple of different things. I've been watching a lot of stuff lately. Not all of it has been great. But last night, I rewatched the original 1978 Superman with Christopher Reeve. And stop me if I've rec this before, Seamus, because I will 
rescind and go back I mean, to something else. I want to say you have. We've talked about the Christopher Reeve Superman a lot, but I, I'm not sure if we've done specifically a rec center on it. I love it so much. I think it's such a breath of fresh air in the contemporary superhero landscape where I actually, I said to our boy Fritz while you were watching it last night, I was like, his suit is so cool. And he was like, is it? And I was like, yes. It's, it's so just like a cloth jumpsuit, isn't it? It's but like it's very. Just, but it's bright and colorful and iconic. Mm. The design is fantastic. It perfectly adapts how Superman looks in the comics to live action. It doesn't have to be this weird chainmail mesh that's all dark colors and like you know yeah they totally just let it be bright and cool and wondrous and i think that's the thing that really stands out to me about that original superman is one it really takes his time to let you get to know clark as a guy before he ever becomes superman but it also revels in the wonder of you know you'll believe a man can fly that's the tagline for the movie right Mm. that's something that we don't do in superhero movies anymore i i gotta say actually this is not this is very decidedly not my rec center because i don't think it's actually a good movie despite how much i enjoyed it the new shazam has Mm. some moments where they go back to a little bit of the classic stuff much like the first shazam does where they show him saving people they show him really enjoying flying and being a superhero in ways that most modern superhero movies don't allow you to to just experience like, wow, this is an amazing thing that's happening. I also like that the first Superman is positioned as something of an epic. There are these great widescreen sweeping shots of the Kansas Plains as Clark and Ma Kent look out to the horizon and wonder what's ahead, you know? Wow, no kidding! I did not, actually didn't know that about this original one. It should be what's a grounded, very simple scene, but they treat it like it's the most important thing that is happening in the universe. Obviously, it's dated. It's from the 70s. You know, the, some of the effects look pretty rough, and the pacing is really slow, but... It all works for me. I think it's kind of the perfect summer movie of just like, man, this is a good time at the movies. And it's it's effects heavy, but it's character driven. And you like the characters. And it's funny and sweet and scary and stupid and campy. And <laughs> we've been in something of a Superman drought. And we talked about this a little bit when we talked about Black Adam. And something a little bit, we talked a little bit about this last week during the Superman mm-hmm. James Gunn news. People don't engage with Superman very much anymore in the way that character is traditionally portrayed. And I think that it's the best on-screen Superman there's ever been. I talked a little bit last week when we were talking the new Superman Legacy news about how, like, my Superman is Man of Steel, and I hate that it is. But I think I think if I just don't overthink it, take a step back, go back to the classics like that, I think... I would have an incredible time. I, I know you've talked up Superman many times before, but I want to do it. I want to go back, maybe maybe get a couple people who haven't seen it ever or like who are less familiar with it because I want to be in on those like novelties that will weirdly seem fresh to me having like no idea what's coming in Superman, but like that epic stuff, the super the special effects that I mean, whatever, it's not modern contemporary kind of special effects, but it's gonna have that character to it that makes superman what it is and that's that's why i'm gonna heed your rec center garrett i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna sit down with that one 
But that wraps us up for the show this week. If you want to reach the show on social media, that's at PCR underscore podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you want to reach the show directly, you can email popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Please like, subscribe, rate, review, do anything that interacts with our show on whatever platform you're listening on. Go to our YouTube page. That's one we haven't plugged in a while. <laughs> All our full episodes are up on there. Lots of good stuff. Uh, just engage with us wherever you can, and that'll help us out a lot. Next week on the show, I'm very excited to say we're going to be covering Dungeons & Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, the new yeah. Dungeons & Dragons movie. Very curious to see how it is. The trailers look good. I like Game Night, which is the same creative team. I'm hearing really good early reviews so far. I've, I'm hearing a lot of fun things. I'm still skeptical, but I'm very excited. Me too. As, as two two boys who have very recently actually started playing Dungeons & Dragons, it's a finally a long time coming from episode one where Dungeons & Dragons was my rec center. Here, we're finally here. Was that true? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's episode one. Wow, that's like, crazy. Like, Four years before I would ever actually roll a D20 at a table, I was like, I listened to a podcast about Dungeons & Dragons that I like, and that that was how that went. Seamus, you are a silly, goofy little boy. I really am. I, I have low, I have high charisma, low intelligence, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to see Chris Pine walking into walls next week as he <laughs> fails his saving throws. Oh, cannot wait. Adios, amigos. Adios, amigos.